You are about to listen to a podcast that is intended for, well, not mature audiences, but certainly adult audiences. So parents, please take a moment to shuffle your kids out of the room or stop listening to it in front of them. We'll give you a moment. Okay, with that out of the way, let's get started with the broadcast. Hello and welcome to Words Between Friends, a podcast where two bosom buddies tear back the curtain of mystery to reveal the truth behind the curious origins of common English phrases and expressions, while also revealing, I like to think, at least a little bit about ourselves and the long-standing mutual hostility we often struggle to hide. I'm your host, Malcolm Fleshner, and with me again is my emotionally close but physically distant colleague and fellow linguistic dilettante, Kurt Wolfram. So, Kurt, are you ready to podcast up a storm today? No, I'm not. <laughs> but you get that I said podcast up a storm, right? Right? Well, that's right. That's, that's very clever of you because I live on the central southwestern coast of Florida. And that is where, again, that's a state, right? It is a state. It's a pen, pen, peninsula. I'm always having trouble with this word, getting it to come <laughs> out of my mouth. Pen, peninsula, peninsula? Yeah, the good thing you don't live on an isthmus. Yeah, that would be tough. <laughs> Even worse. Yeah. <laughs> so you're in South Central Florida, the Gulf Coast, where there was a recent attack by Hurricane Ian, correct? Yes, it's the uh, HARP program by the U.S. government that directs hurricanes. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and But so, all you so. need to do is wrap your house in tinfoil and that protects it, right? <laughs> yeah, then you're all set. <laughs> yeah, so this is my first time. I'm, I was quite excited about it. You know, now that it's over... It's like a lot of th- other things you get excited about ahead of time, NFL playoffs. Uh-huh. New Year's know, uh, Eve. Yeah, New Year's Eve, parole, uh-huh. my debutante ball sure. coming out. Right, coming you know, out. Kind of <laughs> yeah, coming out was a big thing for me. So I had lived in Miami earlier on in my career in life. And <laughs> your career in never, life. <laughs> yeah, never gotten hit by one there early on. So I moved over here to the sleepy west coast of Florida, comparably speaking, from the east coast. And this thing was scheduled to hit Pinellas County, which is where St. Petersburg and Tampa, Tampa's in Hillsborough County, but that's where it was sort of forecast to hit for some length of time. And Pinellas County alone, which itself is an isthmus, on an isthmus in a lake, it has, is, is about a million people live in the county now. So it would have been very devastating to get a direct hit, as it was obviously for the folks in Fort Myers. I had a chance to go down there last Saturday uh, we didn't make it all the way to Fort Myers, but we made it to uh, Port Charlotte, and it looks like a lot of wind had come. I see. So you were able to verify that a hurricane had come through. Yeah, because there's a lot of fake news. Sure. You know. Or at least somebody has gone to a lot of trouble to make it seem like a hurricane came yeah. through. I tell you, those people at NASA, they'll stage anything. Yeah, so you're saying that it's possible that the there's over 100 people who died, right, that they could all be crisis actors? Well, you know, the hard thing about that is when you actually drill down on those deaths. My dad was a a death driller. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, My father, as you know. (laughs) That's from Harry Potter, right? The death drillers? Uh, Yeah, that's right. That's right. Send your uh, emails to J.K. Rowling. (laughs) Anyway, when you go through it, it's like there was an 83-year-old man who went outside to check his pool, make sure it was filled up and fell in and drowned. So there's there's a lot of those. There's a lot of heart attacks and things like that. So they really will blame just about anything on the storm. There were certainly deaths as a direct result of the storm, such as the lady who blew away. Right, okay. So you're a little skeptical about the numbers. Well, I'm not skeptical about the numbers. I mean, obviously people die, but they do fudge it. You know, like a guy dies of a heart attack Mm -hmm. or the power goes out and the guy's on oxygen and he dies. Well, that does count as a hurricane-related death. But it's not like in New Orleans that people drown because of the levees burst. So but when you drive through it, it's a different story because there's nothing like experience. And so down there in this uh, Port Charlotte to Punta Gorda, which means fat person, I guess, point of fat point. And people there are large. They're very large. As so, distinguished um, from all the other people in Florida. Yeah, yeah. So this is like a week later that we went through. And, you know, the lights were mostly back on. There were cops at some intersections. But most of the businesses, about 40, 50 percent of businesses still hadn't opened. And yet at the same time, and this is the takeaway after coming back and processing it for a few days, is that everybody is alarmed and stuff. But most of Florida, like a lot of the United States, has become one giant strip mall. And as long as everything's up. And so, yes, it was devastating for a lot of people. And if you survive the initial storm, generally you're going to be okay, right? Because the Walmart's open and it's a mile down the road. Mm-hmm. And McDonald's was open. The gas stations are open. So it, it's a fairly resilient system we have. 
It's not very deep, but it's very shallow and resistant. And the real tragedy, the people that are going to get hurt the most financially and have their lives ruined, essentially, are the ones that got flooded and didn't have flood insurance. And that's been the theme pretty much for all of these hurricanes, the one in New Orleans, this one, the one in North Carolina, Houston, etc. All right, so that's a little tip from Kurt Wolfram to those of you in hurricane zones to get yourself some flood insurance, which is probably at this point incredibly expensive. Yeah, click the link there below and we'll set you up. No problem there. Easy monthly payments. Uh, Well, typically our show does not have any useful information whatsoever. Certainly not actionable, but this time you've given people a little tip. So nobody can say that ever again. Yeah. So the way the show usually works is Kurt and I each bring a series of well-known English phrases that we have not yet shared with one another. We then try to parse out the meaning and origin of the other's idiomatic expressions. And then wacky hijinks inevitably ensue. This week it is my turn to bat leadoff, but before we get to my entries, I want to note that this November we celebrate the 30-year anniversary of the legendary 1992 New York Times story that purported to describe some of the slang terms emerging from the nascent grunge music scene in Seattle. 1992 was when grunge music sort of started, and the New York Times wanted to run a story about some of the unique terminology that was emerging from this up-and-coming music scene in Seattle. Except that as a source, the Times writer contacted 25-year-old Caroline Records executive Megan Jasper, who, as Wikipedia puts it, quote, tested her interviewer's gullibility by supplying invented slang expressions of increasing ridiculousness. So the writer got in touch with this woman who worked at a record company, said, hey, what are the kids saying? You grunge kids, so we can tell the Times readers, they can give an insight into you know, your lives and the way you speak to another. And she was like, okay, I'm just going to make shit up. Now, Ms. Jasper related 14 different made-up terms to the Times that appeared in the resulting story. I will not share them all, but a few of my favorites, which I am going to share now, and I'm going to ask you, Mr. Wolfram, if you can guess what these terms, quote-unquote, meant, at least as reported in the New York Times. The first one is, uh, <laughs> and I apologize for my laughter in advance because I do find these very amusing. Cobb Nobbler. What is a Cobb Nobbler, according to Megan Jasper and the New York Times in 1992? Yeah, no, I'm going to pass on that one. You just go ahead. A Cobb Nobbler is just a loser. Oh my God, that guy is such a Cobb Nobbler. Which actually, it sounds legit. I can see why they fell for that one. Okay, next one is Harsh Realm. What is Harsh Realm refer to? Well, I know the answer to this, but I don't want to incriminate myself, so I'm going to pass again. You're you're big on passing. So harsh realm means a bummer. Oh, harsh realm, man. Bummer. (laughs) Harsh realm. All right, how about a lame stain? What's a lame stain? Um, Yep, pass. (laughs) I guess you're just going to pass on all these. A lame stain is an uncool person. I think you're being kind of a lame stain for not answering my questions, but nevertheless. Okay, next is wax slacks. What are wax slacks? Is that some sort of ritual that women do to prepare themselves for men? (laughs) No, wax slacks are just old ripped jeans. That's all, just old ripped jeans, wax slacks. Hey, that's a nice pair of wax slacks you got on. Of course, this is all not true, but (laughs) but the New York Times bought it anyway. Rock on, when do you say rock on to somebody? You know, when you're having a good time, when things are groovy. That's true. In this case, it's a happy goodbye. Rock on. See you later. Rock on. It's just a, an upbeat way of saying goodbye. And then the last one I have is <laughs> is swinging on the flippity flop. What does it mean <laughs> when you say Now, bear in mind, the writer at the New York Times believed all of these and published them as if they are true. Swinging on the flippity flop means you're doing what? I, again, pass. You're just hanging out. We're just swinging on the flippity flop. <laughs> <laughs> See, now, the last two, rock on, that, I don't yeah. know, I mean, she was making it up at the time, but you could legitimately say that to somebody, and that has entered the lexicon. I don't know if it entered it because of this article. And swinging on the flippity-flop, that doesn't mean hanging out, but you might say to someone, I'll catch you on the flippity-flop, I'll see you later. You know, so I think in a curious sort of self-referential meta way, this article may have actually influenced the culture and made not Cobnopler or Lame Stain or, or Wax Slacks or Harsh Realm. Oh, it's such a harsh realm. That's <laughs> a harsh realm. What a bummer. It's such a harsh realm. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Maybe not. Well, see, here's the thing. I've always felt like it's easy to start a catchphrase. You don't get any royalties from it. No. And you're never going to know when it starts or anything, but I, I like it. It's pretty good. And while you were doing that, I was looking up, and I'm going to see how many of these you remember. 
this is terrible that anybody did this. And then, of course, everybody picked it up and then reported about how terrible it was. But every news around the world did this which was the flight, the Asian flight. They, oh, they, God, they, yeah. yeah, we, we too yeah. low, we too low. Yeah, you, yeah. so <laughs> what can you remember? There were four names that the, uh, that the newscasters set up. This is actually a tragedy. It happened here in San Francisco. Yeah, it was horrible. It was yeah, a Korean yeah. Airlines flight yeah. that sort of crash landed. There was a fire. I mean, the terrible thing is that I think everybody survived the crash landing, but then they right. foamed the whole thing, and there were people exiting onto the tarmac, and they got like lost in the foam, and people got hit by emergency vehicles or something. It was really terrible. But yeah. someone called into the local news station about the names of the pilots. I mean, you know it. Yeah. You obviously have it in front of you, so I'm not going to relate. Yeah, but I want to see if you can remember any, because it was just... I don't know who was the pilot or who, but I remember one of them, One of, and it was done as a joke, and it went out over the air, and yeah. the newscaster intimated that these were the names of the various crew members. One of them was We Too Low, and you're saying there are four? We Too... I'm not going to look it up. Yeah, there was, there was four. Uh. There's four. <laughs> and, uh, okay, so KTV has just learned the names of the four pilots who were on the plane. Oh, there was all four, uh, four pilots. Okay, so it's claims yeah. it's all Yeah, and you pilots. remember, most people did survive. There were two deaths, sadly. Uh, so I'm going to try to verbatim from the newscast here. They are Captain Sum Ting Wong. Sum Ting Wong, right. Ting. We Too Low. We Too Low, my favorite. Holy Fook. Holy Fook, yeah. And Bang Ding Ow. And what was the last one? Bang Ding Ow. Bang Ding Ow. <laughs> so what's your favorite? Well, obviously, Holy Fook. Yeah, see, I mean... <laughs> we Too Low is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want anyone to think that we are mocking Asian culture or anything. No. We are just mocking the naivete of whoever put this on air <laughs> without yeah. even reading them aloud or thinking about it and, or checking yeah. their source. We Too Low, I think, is subtle. I like it because of the subtlety. Yeah. <laughs> Captain Sum T. Wong. So there is a long-standing tradition of yeah. getting media to relate information about language, names, and so on and so forth that is amusing, incorrect, and t as a way of mocking them. And I was thinking about this recently, that occasionally you'll see a news report where, like, there's a fire and they interview a neighbor, and the neighbor will give his name as Haywood Jablomi. <laughs> I've seen it happen more than once. So you, you can look it up. The last name is spelled J-A-B-L-O-M-E. It's like Jablom. I think they probably say Jablum uh -huh. and they spell it for him, you know, Haywood Jablum. But when you read it, it looks like Haywood Jablomi. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's coming right up on Google search here. <laughs> Haywood Jablomi tends to be a neighbor frequently. <laughs> it's just, it's just a reminder of all these, uh, you know, the Bart Sips. Right, and yeah, and call, yeah. And call Mo. Amanda, you know? Hug and Kiss and all those. Yeah. I'm looking for a huge ass. Huge ass. <laughs> this is what a child I am, okay? I know everybody should be listening to our podcast exclusively and nothing sure. else. I occasionally dabble in other podcasts, and one of them is an Irish history podcast. And there was a recent episode I listened to about the War of Independence and the beginning of the War of Independence in Ireland in 1919, 1920, it takes place. And the name of this Royal Irish Constabulary Sergeant, I think, who was just walking through this town square or somewhere, and an IRA volunteer comes up and shoots him point blank and kills him from the back. And mm. it's upsetting. You know, it's about war. It's, it's a serious topic. But the problem is that the detective's name is Michael Hunt. Oh, yeah. That's going to be that's going to be a problem. <laughs> I'm listening to this Irish podcaster telling this story about this man who was murdered cold blood in the middle of the day in a town square and I'm just snickering because <laughs> his name is Michael Hunt. <laughs> and that's what a child I am. I can't help it. It's not my fault. That's all I know. Yeah, I think you're right. This is a condition and nowadays you can get treatment for it. While reading up on this story about the Cobb Nobbler, the Harsh Realm, the Lame Stain, and I was wearing my wax lax at the time, I think maybe, but otherwise just swinging on the flippity flop and hanging out, <laughs> I encountered a Reddit thread launched by a user named JNFSK who, and I'll quote the thread, I think it was a woman, she said, I've long been obsessed with this horribly inaccurate American slang dictionary I bought in Italy years ago and then lost. I just found out they have an app. All the slang is pulled from random shit online. Some of the slang terms from the Times story appear in this Italian-English slang dictionary, but there are also others that are just as hilarious. So this is an Italian-English dictionary. Italian people would read this, and they're supposed to use these and pick up these terms because <laughs> these terms mean what they claim to mean for these poor suckers who are trying to 
pass their way through England or Australia or the United States or wherever. I'm gonna, I got four of them. The first one is blast the weeds. What does it mean to blast the weeds? And I know you're not going to guess because you have taken some sort of vow of not making this remotely entertaining for anybody. Yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> and that just means to smoke pot. You're going to blast the weeds. So you have to imagine okay. some Italian person <laughs> who's trying to ingratiate themselves with Americanized and think, do you, uh, you like to blast the weeds, huh? And they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the second one is to bend some ham. To bend some ham. People pay for this app to tell them okay. that bend some ham means to have sex yeah. me between men. Two men having sex with each other. To bend mm, some ham. Sure, sure. <laughs> I, the, but the last two, I, I don't know which one I love more. <laughs> what does it mean, according to this Italian-English dictionary, to crack a fart? What do you think it means to crack a fart? I'm back with bend some ham with handsome Ben. How about that? <laughs> I like to bend some ham with handsome Ben. That's pretty good. <laughs> I'm not. I'm skipping this one. You go ahead. You're going to skip crack a fart? Yeah, yeah. It just means to fart. To crack a fart means to fart. <laughs> <laughs> hey, who cracked a fart? <laughs> who cracked a fart, eh? <laughs> You're not going to make me want to bend some ham. <laughs> Um, somebody blast the weed so we cover the smell of somebody crack a the fart. All right, and the, the last one is I'm friends with that. <laughs> I'm friends with that just means I like that. <laughs> I, I feel like when you're saying this that you're hanging noodles over my ear. Yeah, I know. That's, that's, that's a callback to our, I think, our first episode. But I'm friends with that. I just like imagine saying, like, nobody else likes it, but I like pineapple pizza. And the person's like, oh, I'm friends with that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. There's a sitcom, I can't remember, but the, the guy in the sitcom was trying to make it like Streets Alive. He was like, how are things? Oh, they're Streets Alive. And I got to figure out what that was because he tried to get it through and he'd say it in every episode. It never got anywhere. Isn't that like being cool or an alpha male? The more you talk about it, the less you are. And if you say, I'm going to try to get this into the lexicon, whereas if you yeah. just are, you have Seinfeld and you do a show about people who were accused or think people think they're gay but they're not they say i'm not gay not that there's anything wrong with that you know it just enters the lexicon organically i mean maybe they intended it but i doubt it, uh, it right so this was the point is this guy was trying to make it a catchphrase and it was just ridiculous yeah. you know the streets are locked well we've, we've already discussed my myriad failures on this front yeah, so yeah, yeah obviously yeah. i need to have a wildly popular sitcom and slip some of yeah. my chosen terms in and, and hope they catch on but that's how it works until then it really burns my bagel that i haven't been able to get any of my terms sure. into the discourse but i'll just review <laughs> for those of you who are studying at home in case you're going to take our, our online quiz afterwards we had cobnobbler which means loser harsh realm is bummer lame stain such a lame stain uncool person Wax lax, those are your old ripped jeans or wax lax. Rock on is a happy goodbye. And when you're just hanging out, you're swinging on the flippity flop. And then when you talk to your Italian friends, tell them you like to blast the weeds. Maybe you enjoy bending some ham. And you're quite likely to crack a fart. <laughs> and you know what, how I feel about all of these? I'm friends with that. I like it. I'm friends with it. So we'll see how that goes. Our podcast is probably not going to be sufficient to get any of those into uh, the, the common parlance but it would be fun if they did and i appreciate whoever was responsible you know who it might have been it might have been we too low that guy he was a pilot you remember him oh sure sure <laughs> his brother holy fook holy fook we too low <laughs> all right so okay well that's my first segment now this is where we will put the ad when we have ads we'll put the ad here sure all right, we're back from break, everybody. And Kurt is going to put me on the spot. Now it's my turn to be in the hot seat and prove what a lame stain I am. Yeah, yeah, that's real uncomfortable, <laughs> all the things you say. It's such a harsh realm. <laughs> all right, so I have a, I have a term to start with. Uh -huh. It's fairly innocuous, I think. Mm -hmm. It is a slush fund. Slush fund, you know, that's a good one. Okay, so the first thing I'm supposed to do is identify what... A slush fund is and it is a pool of money that is usually secretively stored away it might have been in a safe or stored away somewhere maybe with your intelligence briefings and other classified materials that you keep at your resort so a slush fund it's just money that you have there's a sense of illegality about it that it is improperly acquired but it's certainly set aside for a rainy day or for 
uh, when you need it for something else, but generally to engage in nefarious activities, to pay for when you need to have some plumbers break into the Watergate or to pay off the Contras in Nicaragua or whatever it is you're doing that you don't want people to know about. You don't want this to be public. You have a slush fund for it. So is that correct? Right. I think you, you, it's bang out. Essentially, in political campaigns, it's often they have a slush fund to pay the ballot harvesters or people to go pick people up. And that's exactly right. And then, of course, you get a, a guess as to where it comes from. Where does it derive from? Right. Okay. So uh, I think this is pretty obvious. Most people sure. know this, that the concept of laundering money, where mm-hmm. you have some sort of business, typically a cash business, where the money comes through and you, you don't need to document every single dollar because it's a cash business. So you pretend that there's more cash coming through this business than there actually is. And you use the ill-gotten drug money or whatever it is to launder it through that business. And a lot of the early businesses that were used to launder money in this way were carts where people would sell ices and other frozen treats. And they would hide the money in with the mixed water and ice that was then used to make snow cones and other because it was hidden under there it came to be known as a slush fund because it was in with this ice water slushy sort of consistency that you kept in the tank under and you would distribute these guys all over the city they'd be they would legitimately be selling snow cones and icy treats but at the same time they would be storing money they, they might be selling drugs as well and that money would then go into eventually a pool that whoever was their boss the, the drug kingpin or the gangster and so they came to be referred to as a slush fund from that association well that's absolutely right what is your word next <laughs> nailed it <laughs> All right, go ahead, go ahead. Tell me how wrong I am. All right, so it's pretty good, though. So essentially, this caught me by surprise. In days of yore, the ship's cook would boil salted beef and skim the fat. They had salted beef all the time because uh, it, it, it held up. And skim the fat, which was called slush, from the top of the pot. He would collect this slush during the entire ship's voyage and sell it when returning to harbor pocketing the money for his own gain. Wow. Yeah. And boy, I would pay top dollar for that. It sounds very appetizing. Mm. <laughs> so you start with the salted beef, which right right off the bat, yum. Lots of that. Mm-hmm. Yep, you boil that up. Is that what hardtack is? You hear about people eating hardtack, and you know, I don't know what that is. But Yeah, I, I read a bunch of sailing books, and I think the hardtack is when it's already been salted, but they don't have time to boil it. So if it's rough weather, they just eat it raw, you know, mm. hardtack. And so what he'd do is he'd boil off the salted beef, the fat would be there, and then the guy in the land would say, oh, here comes the semen, and I'm going to buy the semen's fat there. <laughs> what have you semen been skimming off the top for me? Yeah, so that's good stuff. I don't know what the fat was sold for. Maybe they used it for all sorts of things. But anyway, that's where it comes from. Well, they would sell it, and then you would go to a public plaza or some public mm-hmm. gathering area, and people yeah. would gather to chat and eat it. They would just eat the fat, and that's how we got yeah. chew the fat. You would think, but that's actually further down. <laughs> However, no, they actually would, they would collect it and they would bring it to small, these were way, way back in the 1800s, mm-hmm. they were small corner shops that were open from like 6 to 12, 7, 11, and then they would call them slushies. <laughs> All right, moving on. That does sound delicious. But I would have never thought that slush fun was originally a nautical term, but it is. So there you go. See, this is the thing. There are so many nautical terms we don't know. Like nautical terms and card playing, tremendous number yeah. of terms. And I guess it probably has to do with the fact that sailors, as Austin Powers points out, they go port to port and they mm-hmm. spread their language everywhere they go. And so it makes sense sure. that it would be distributed that way. So that's slush fund. It comes from sailing. I never would have guessed that. And I think my answer is arguably more plausible. <laughs> Sure. Let's go, let's go with yours. <laughs> okay, so I actually have a multitude of phrases that I don't know, I have no explanation for them, but in the past, as you recall with the You're Putting Noodles on Ears reference, you brought to the podcast foreign language phrases translated into English, and I had to guess what they meant. So I'm doing something similar with you, except instead of foreign language phrases, they are English language phrases, but they're not from the United States. They're from four different English-speaking, allegedly, countries. So I have idiomatic expressions from four different English language speaking countries and you have to guess what they mean. I know you refused on all my others and now I'm going to put you on the spot and make you do it. So the first one comes from our neighbors to the north in Canada eh? Mm. and the expression is Molson muscle 
What is Molson muscle? That is what I ask you, Kurt Wolfram. Well, Molson, of course, is one of the premier Canadian beers mm -hmm. up there along with Schlitz North <laughs> and uh, hockey beer. And I believe their mascot is a duck and a muscly duck you know, as Molson muscle can fly real high, but also very good at slap shots. Mm. So uh, getting a Molson muscle is the same as getting a slap shot to the head. Sure. With a puck. Makes absolute sense. But yeah. the actual answer makes a little bit more sense, okay. which is a beer belly. Your beer belly <laughs> is referred to as your Molson muscle. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, so those Canadians, they're funny. You know, those Canadians, they get reputation for being nice, but they're also very funny, some of them. So, oh, yeah, the kids in the hall. Sure. Martin Short and yeah. Anne Marie, Justin Bieber. Peter uh, Jennings. Justin Trudeau. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not so much. Okay, the second one comes to us from Australia. Get on you, mate. Sorry. It's unlikely you're going to be able to guess it, but we'll give it a shot. All right. The expression is flat out like a lizard drinking. What does flat out like a lizard drinking mean? All right, mate, that's no problem. When I was in the bush there with my Sheila, we'd be going over with the bobby and go ahead and say that with the thing of blah, blah. <laughs> I like how it just degenerates into just blah, 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 blah. <laughs> That's, I'm sticking to that answer. <laughs> it's like when you're pretending to speak French and you just wind up like, Enchanté, surrender. Flat out like a lizard drinking means you're extremely busy. And I don't know why. I posed this question to an Australian colleague of mine and asked mm. him why it meant that, and he did not know. But people generally mm. don't know why they say things. There's a lot of people who don't even know what a slush fund is, <laughs> yeah. like where that comes from. I like your idea of just cornering people of any descent and being like, so why did Genghis kind of invade like that? Huh? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Mongols. Or I'll just go up to some Italian person and say, hey, want to bend some ham? Okay, so that's Australia. Number three is comes from England, and this one is on the pole. What does it mean to be on the pole? Well, obviously, everybody knows what that means. I've spent my time on the pole. Uh -huh. You've spent your time on the pole. We've gotten tips. One thing has led to another. And pretty soon it was like, holy fuck. <laughs> uh, on the pole. Now, I'm sorry, make, clarify that I'm saying on the pole. P-U-L-L. -L, not on the pole. Oh, on the pole. Well, we've, we've all been there too, Malcolm. <laughs> Let's face it. <laughs> Getting a little tug. So on the pole means you are out for an evening and you are looking for companionship. You're soliciting companionship where you're on the pole. Oh, you're on the pole. And which of our neighbors is that? This is England. And it comes from a traditional English practice of going out and just dragging someone into an alley to have sex. Yeah, sure. That's, sure. You know. Yeah, that was... Well, they were descended from the uh, troglodytes, right? There you go. And that was the thing they do. <laughs> yeah, my friend Jack the Ripper, he's on the pole. He's on the pole, yeah. Okay, the last one comes to us from New Zealand. Yeah. The land of hobbits, I guess. I don't know much about New Zealand. It's an adjective. I'll give you that. And mm. it's piece of piss. What does it mean when you say piece of piss as an adjective? Well, I mean, obviously that's known here <laughs> around the world. It's when you make those little popsicles. Mmm. <laughs> Another piece of piss for me, Ma. No, no, that is... Yeah, the little trays and everything. Yeah. That is not... That's not it. It actually okay. means easy. If something is easy, it's a piece of piss in mm. New Zealand. So it's probably best that we keep them way the hell over there then, these people. <laughs> when you disseminate yourself, when you become a seaman <laughs> yeah. and travel the world, and next time you yeah. go to Australia, Canada, England, or New Zealand, hopefully yeah. it's a piece of piss for you, but you'll know what to say. And so will all of our listeners. I don't even think I'm going to get off the boat now. Those people sound like they're addled. Well, how are you going to sell your fat? <laughs> so now, I'm going to sell my slush. Fresh slush here! <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, that's my segment number two. Now we're, we're back to you. So you started with Slush Fund, and now what are we moving on to? Okay, so I'm going to give you a choice now uh -oh. because I couldn't decide. So here, you're going to choice of one of these three terms, which you can guess and win fabulous prizes. You can either choose scuttlebutt, mm. overbearing, or footloose. Oh, wow. Those are all good. Now I'm curious about all of them, except overbearing. Yeah. But I'm going to go with footloose, because I think I may okay. have an inkling. Not really. I don't technically even know what an inkling is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I used to have an inkling, too, but it's not like it used to be when I was young. <laughs> they grow up so fast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they do. No, it's, 
Anyway. But that commonly happens with this podcast is that in our conversation, things will come up that actually qualify as future possible because we use them so frequently without thinking about it. Yeah, I have no idea what inkling is. Yeah. I assume it's a small creature from New Zealand <laughs> uh, fed mostly on slush. So footloose, are you going to be guess? Are you going to guess? Well, okay, so footloose, it's an expression meaning that you refuse to conform to community standards and that you are insisting on your independence despite the overbearing rules and restrictions that your community is imposing on you, often relating to dance and by John Lithgow. <laughs> that's what it right. means to that's be like, footloose. That's, I mean, that's just spot on. <laughs> that's just spot on. Um, so for the real answer, footloose comes from the expression footloose and fancy free. Fancy free meaning that you are not currently involved in a relationship with anybody. I'm not sure why you need the footloose part, like what your foot would be tied to, like what, metaphorically how you would be tied down foot-wise that you would need that. Like, I think you could just say I'm fancy free. So I don't know what the footloose part specifically means or where it comes from, but it's a hell of a movie. It's a hell of a movie. If you watch it again, like almost all 80s movies, it's pretty much a nonstop cringe fest. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much during our time was the best things of everything. So, you know, Footloose is the opposite. There's a lot of things you can say about Footloose. You know, that's where people would put chains. You have to march in lockstep. Women used to have their feet bound. Uh -huh, so uh -huh. I guess being Footloose is just being Footloose. But where did it come from? Your definition is absolutely right. It's anybody who's acting in an irresponsible manner in the 80s in the Midwest. <laughs> Was that Laurie Singer? Who was? Who was I believe it was, correct. Yeah, yeah, it might have been Laurie Singer. And uh, John Lithgow, Keeping Him Down. What a great film. Yeah, I think there's a good juxtaposition between John Lithgow and Laurie Singer with Jerry Orbach and Jennifer Grey in Dirty Dancing. Like, this was a theme in the 80s, like daughters and fathers. Right, right. Expressing their independence and becoming women. It, and... it was almost as, as if dancing was a symbolic act for something else, but mm. I don't know. Probably not. Probably like cribbage. Yeah, yeah, probably cribbage. Nobody puts baby in the corner when I can come out and play cribbage with her on the dance floor. That's what they meant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nobody puts baby in a corner because I can't get good leverage when I really want to... <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, Footloose. The title of Kevin Bacon's iconic 80s dance movie was based on the term for a flapping sail. When not tied correctly loose, the bottom of the sail, the foot, flutters in the wind. Any sailor knows the ropes can tie up loose ends and set everything ship-shaped quickly. And then we get to the terms tipsy and three sheets to the wind, etc. But again, another sailing term. Wow, I really am glad I sent you that nautical dictionary for your birthday a few years ago. You're really, it's paying off in spades. I matey, I matey. <laughs> Although there's another one, in spades. I don't know why that means. Yeah. <sighs> but it's really paying off. I know what that means. Yeah. Does that mean that... Scuttlebutt. Scuttlebutt, obviously, that's also a, a nautical term. I think. I yeah, it's also, that. and so is overbearing. Wow. Um, wow. So now, now you know. Uh, but I have a third one, but hopefully you have a third one. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, there's, okay. there's what plenty. Do you got? I got more content. Did I mention that I have it coming out of my penis hole? <laughs> Inkling. Inkling. What was the other one we had? Uh, spades Inkling and spades. And say, so, yeah, okay. And then lame stain. Where, where does lame stain come from? That would be great. Like a hundred years from now, somebody else is doing a podcast and they're like, lame stain was originally appeared in the New York Times as a joke, but then it got popularized on this podcast about word that these two jackasses used to do. That was very unpopular. Yeah, one of only 200 million podcasts at the time. But I just want our listener to know that I thought of this podcast idea first. Yeah. Back when Katrina hit. Mm -hmm. The first time. I saw Sean Penn go to the rescue for all of us. And he, he inspired you. <laughs> I'm not sure how that would work, but okay. My expression is the greatest thing since sliced bread, or also wow. alternately the best thing since sliced bread. Where does the expression wow. the greatest thing since sliced bread come from? Well, I have to do the meaning first, yeah. right? Okay, so the meaning is it's the best thing going. It's the new Commodore 64. Sure. It's the new Segway. Yeah, it's a great new invention. I'm sure air conditioning was the greatest thing since sliced bread. But ironically, I don't know where this term comes from, but I'm going to hazard a guess that I'm fearful that it may be actually correct. I don't think bread was actually sliced for quite a while. It was just sold in whole loaves because back then people weren't all uh, uh, snowflakes and needed instructions for everything. They just sliced the bread at home with one of their stone knives or chisels. So maybe it was like a marketing ploy, maybe in the 50s, 60s, at some point, you know, in the 20th century, where they said, well, we now slice bread. And isn't that great? We have a bread slicer and all that kind of stuff, a labor-saving kind of thing. Buy the Wonder Bread people. Well, you are 
not correct, but you are very <laughs> close, and that's really terrific. I'm impressed mm. for the first time, I think, on this mm. podcast with you, or mm. really just mm. at all. Uh, but that is pretty damn good, and I will credit you, you know, a little bit. Okay. Okay. So here it is. The first bread slicing machines using parallel steel blades appeared in America in the 1860s. And I get this, by the way, from todayifoundout.com. However, pre-sliced bread sold to the masses didn't come about until 1928, when a man named Otto Frederick Rowetter of Davenport, Iowa, invented a device to automate this process. He first built a prototype of his bread slicer in 1912, which didn't interest bakers he showed it to, as it was thought that no one would want their bread pre-sliced. Unfortunately, Rowetter's blueprints and machine were destroyed in a fire in 1917. From there, he struggled to obtain funding to begin again on his machine owing to the lack of interest. The primary concern was the reduction in shelf life of the bread. Rowetter got around part of the staleness problem by wrapping the thinly sliced loaves in wax paper directly after slicing was complete. Finally, in 1927, Rowetter was able to rebuild the machine and produce a model ready to use in an actual bakery. He sold his bread slicing and wrapping machine to the Chillicothe Baking Company in Chillicothe, Missouri, about 90 miles northeast of Kansas City. The front page of the town's newspaper announced the arrival of this new standard of living with the headline, Sliced Bread is Made Here. A back page ad on July 6, 1928 claimed it was the greatest forward step in the baking industry since bread was wrapped. So that's from the ad. Customers loved the convenience, reliability, and consistency of sliced bread. More and more bakeries wanted their own machines, including the Taggart Baking Company of Indianapolis, which produced the bread that would become to be known as Wonder Bread. Mm. On May 19, 1921, in the newspaper Indianapolis Star, a small advertisement appeared directly above Dr. William Osborne and his self-adjusting rupture appliance, whatever that is. So there's an ad, an ad in the Indianapolis Star. Your eye is caught by Dr. William Osborne's self-adjusting rupture appliance ad, but then you see above it an ad that simply says, Wonder? How often do you use this word every day? Check yourself. So that was check yourself is apparently a term that dates back prior to Rex and Effects' 1990s hit hip-hop song, uh, Check Yourself Before You Wreck Yourself. Two days later, another ad appeared that told readers that they'll never find wonder of a better kind. Wonder is capitalized in all these, by the way. Finally, on May 24th, a full page revealed what all this wondering was about. Taggart's Wonder Bread, a truly wonderful bread, was here. As put by Clutter Magazine, which I'm like, Clutter Magazine? <laughs> now where is my where's my latest episode of clutter it must be here somewhere i know you can't, can't find it anywhere it's like what what's the perfect gift for the hoarder on your christmas list clutter magazine it comes 18 times a week 18 inches a week <laughs> like the, yeah the, the mailman has to come into your house and hide it somewhere and deliver it Clutter Magazine. Okay, so as put by Clutter Magazine, this new virgin white 1.5 pound loaf perfectly evoked the otherworldliness of the enormous manufacturing system that was seen as America's future. Within only a few years, Wonder Bread was America's favorite bread. In 1930, wow. Wonder Bread became the first mass-produced bread to be pre-sliced. This brings us back to the best things in sliced bread. It is thought by most etymologists that it loosely stems from the aforementioned July 6, 1928 back page ad in Chillicothe's newspaper, the greatest forward step in the baking industry since bread was wrapped, and later Wonder Bread's own constant hyping along a similar vein of its pre-sliced bread. As for the first documented reference to the exact phrase, this is thought to be in a 1952 interview where the famous comedian Red Skelton advised the Salisbury, Maryland Times to not worry about television. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And so that is the history of the greatest thing since sliced bread that we, they don't really know. But they think it's actually originally was the greatest thing since wrapped bread, which doesn't sound that great. Like, oh, wow, who was the genius who thought to put wrapping around bread? Well, I really like this one because, A, I almost got it right. So you're right. I get at least a yeah. half a point. Very impressive. But uh, I like that the article goes on. This spurred other manufacturers to, up to then, hadn't separated their product either. Frito-Lays, <laughs> who had only sold corn chip, said, you know what? We can break them apart and make corn chips. Of course, the Doritos company and the, the cheese company, Kraft, was like, we only sold Blocko cheese. Now sliced cheese. Wow, who would have thought? You know, it, just, it just brings everything up. Saltines, we used to just sell cracker. Oh, I tell you, we got to get on the sliced bread train here. <laughs> well, apparently pre-sliced bread also is what helped bring about the Marvel 
the wonder, the marvel, yeah. that is the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Having pre-sliced bread made sandwiches much more viable in general and led somehow to the... I didn't go down that rabbit hole. I was too busy wrapping my house in tinfoil, so I couldn't go down that rabbit hole. But Yeah, yeah. I just love the idea that all over America, there's like a guy sitting in their, in, their, in their table to their wives, their poor suffering wives. Damn it, I thought of that first. That was me. I was the one who was going to do that. <laughs> like, Why didn't I think of that? Damn it. Well, that's great. Okay, that's I'm, not, I'm not quite finished okay. yet. I'm not quite finished. Uh, okay, what do you got? The additional note that I got from this article is that while bread has been used since the 17th century to clean the frescoes on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, restorationists mm. have found that Wonder Bread and its sponge texture makes a remarkably efficient tool for cleaning Michelangelo's creation of Adam in the Vatican. So the wonder of Wonder Bread just continues. Yeah. But as I was preparing this just earlier today, I thought this expression, the greatest thing since sliced bread, it's commonly used. Which is sort of ironic because, as we point out, you know, sliced bread is not that great. I mean, it's it's good, sure, but it's not. <laughs> I mean, have you ever had unsliced bread? I got one the other day. I just got a loaf of Tuscan. It was tough. You try eating a sandwich with two loaves of bread. It's it's not easy. I like it's sitting there. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? It's a good point. Okay, so it was only like ten or fifteen minutes before we went on air earlier today. So I made a quick list of my possible alternatives. Okay. That we might innovate and. Even in the course of this program, you have suggested others un unwittingly, but I thought I would add them. Like the best thing since the Commodore 64. <laughs> sure. Or the best thing since flood insurance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which there you go. those people who have flood insurance down there mm. in Fort Myers, they are agreeing. But this is one I think about. is The greatest thing since Novocaine. I don't know, those of you who have had cavities and tooth problems, the idea yeah. of getting your teeth drilled without Novocaine versus... I will take... Novocaine over sliced bread, although Wonder Bread has sugar in it, and that's probably what's giving you the cavities in the first place. So it's it's a little bit of a twist there. But another one I was thinking about is the greatest yeah. thing since the undo function on a computer. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh, that's pretty great. All right, I'm going to wade in with one uh, best thing since the waterproof condom. <laughs> For you, I thought it would be best thing since the extra small condom. <laughs> tiny, tiny condoms. Tiny condoms. Anyway, <laughs> click on the link, folks, if you can find it. Extra tiny condoms. I'm going to get to that. So, um, okay, so uh, the greatest thing since extra cheese, I thought, because, you know, extra cheese is, you know, like, how about some extra cheese? Yeah. <gasps> That's, are you, can we do that? Yeah. Right. Um, right. But then I thought the greatest thing since grated cheese. This, mm. You got the two grates, right? The greatest thing yeah. since grated yeah. cheese. And then I thought the greatest thing since making America great again. Mm. No? Thanks. No? Yeah, thanks for... This I'm one's kind of subtle. That. See if you get it. The greatest yeah. thing since Muhammad Ali. Oh, that was good. Yeah. I like huh? it. Huh? I like it. And then yeah. this one, this is also subtle and clever, I think. Yeah. The greatest thing since putting a man on the moon. Because uh -huh. that, it's a combination, you see. Because uh -huh. another stupid thing that everybody says, if we can put a man on the moon, and I uh -huh. like to think, how come, if we can put a man on the moon, how come we can't come up with a better expression than the greatest thing since sliced bread? And now yeah. I have. It's the greatest thing since putting a man on the moon. No? Great. Yes. Yeah, I like it. Streets ahead. But I think the one we should go with... The, the, Your streets ahead. Yeah. The, <laughs> <laughs> the conclusion of all this, and thank you for sticking with us, is yeah. the greatest thing since your product here and then whoever advertises with us yeah i know you're trying to ink that deal you're trying you got an inkling yeah i i talked to lou he does a used transmission repair down the road there he's interested i thought you were talking to the tiny condoms <laughs> tiny dicks what is it <laughs> tinypricks.com tinypricks.com for yeah. your condom one-stop shopping condom needs <laughs> we will promise to propagate this new expression as the greatest thing since and then whatever your product is, whoever wants to advertise with us. So we, yeah, yeah. we get the money, they get the money, and then it just it takes off from there, I figure. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, I like it. You're streets ahead on this you one. You seem... We'd stop it with that streets ahead. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Fetch is not going to happen, and neither is streets ahead. Okay, so that's me. So let's close it up with whatever the hell you've got. All right, that was fantastic. Now, as I often do when I've done my first couple here, I, I ask you to guess the theme. So I did Slush Fund, mm -hmm. we did Footloose, and you know the derivation, so you want to take a guess on the theme here? Uh, you know, all I can think about is semen. Mm-hmm, sure, sure. <laughs> you know, at one point, I went to the analytics people, and I was like, how many women are, are listening to this podcast? And now it's a negative number. Yeah, maybe we need to do more jokes about how <laughs> the Uranus is a gas giant. <laughs> There are gaseous clouds around Uranus. And also my Michael Hunt material. So, sure. yes, the nautical themes. Nautical themes. Yes, nautical themes. Is what there you go. Is the you, answer you, you were you, looking for. You, and you I was guessed being it already. Such a well lame done. stain about this. 
Yes. All right, so here we have our third and final clue for me. Uh, you've brought a font of information today. Uh -huh. So the last one is actually suggested by the listener. They suggested that we cover the term full stop and because we always try to give the people what they want. Or the person. We're going to do full stop. So what do you think full stop is and where do you think it derived from, keeping our theme in mind? Well, full stop, I, I mean, it's the British version, maybe Canadian also, of a period at the end of a sentence is full stop. And why do we call it that? Full stop. Well, full means complete. And uh, like you've eaten enough. And stop means you should st stop stop eating. Maybe it's a fat thing. It's, it's fat shaming. Are, are you fat shaming? I hope to. Full stop. I got no idea. It's the end of a sentence. You're stopping. You're stopping in full as opposed to a comma where you're stopping briefly and then moving on. So that's why right. I think it would differentiate it from a comma. But why they say full stop, I can't fathom it. And fathom, hey, there's another nautical term for you. All right. Well, very good. It's a good guess. However, this is just going to point out that, as we've talked about many times, the derivation of these words, it's very confusing. And we think we know, but the ones we had today, like slush fund and uh, scuttlebutt and uh, overbearing. Which we didn't hear about. Those are all nautical terms. So this is, a, this is a nautical, full stop, a nautical term. See, this is my point, is that I thought full stop was a nautical term. Because I had heard it. I know that the, the commander of TV shows I'd watch was like, full stop, full stop, Captain. It's the opposite of full speed ahead. Although pulling out all the stops is another term we have not talked about, but that is not nautical. Is it the same? Is it the same derivation as pulling out all the stops? <laughs> right. So basically, so I went to all these naval sites and I tried to find out where they use full stop from because I know I had heard it many times. Is that what and you said I, you were doing? You're going to naval sites? That's what you were <laughs> Hotnakedsailors.com. I'm looking up the origin of this term, honey. <laughs> So anyway, after going to a lot of sites, table sites, and you know, okay, moving on. It turns out where I had heard it was from Star Trek. And Captain Kirk, then Picard, would often say, full stop. Uh -huh. And that led to a long string of speculation on a Star Trek fan page of saying, full stop as to what? Relative to local space? Oh, well, that doesn't make sense. Motionless relative, and it goes on and on and on. Don't they use coordinates to signify star locations, don't they? Well, actually, in episode 17, obviously they're going to drop out of every, you know, it just goes on. It's, it's a very long thing. This is the only thing I could possibly imagine that would be less entertaining and interesting to people than our podcast. Getting to this point in our podcast is yeah. going into, into deep space. Right. Deep on... space lexicon, right? <laughs> so it turns out full stop wasn't actually used, but in old uh, ships in the in the World War II, World War One, even in riverboat ships, they would have a thing on the handle there that was forward, full speed, and half speed, and then they had stop. So full stop was you could still be making ground uh, you know, uh, covering distance, I guess, right? But the engines would be off. They'd so you, be at full stop. So coasting. So that's you, you could coast right. even though you're at full stop. Yeah, but so you weren't really stopped. But, but while that is true, it is also used concurrently as the full stop common English period. Yeah. The full point punctuation mark, and it goes on to that. Now, what gets interesting at the end of that about the full stop, it talks about the Latin, how it's used in math and everything else. But essentially, it had a medieval background. They used to use it in Latin all the way through into English, and then full stop, and then we called it a period. Stop was used in telegrams. In conversation, the British English would say full stop. Mm -hmm. I'm not going with you. Full stop. I'm not talking about semen anymore. Full stop. <laughs> but they mean period, meaning the, the, like menstruation. Right, they mean period, and then we... No, they mean like menstruation. I'm not going with you because I'm menstruating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we made it to, I'm not going to talk about semen or periods with you, period. <laughs> but what's interesting is the right. footnote on Wikipedia says that now in uh, the days of texting, the line break had become the default method of punctuation in texting, comparable to the use of line breaks in poetry, and that a period or a full stop at the end of a sentence in a text causes the tone of the message to be perceived as cold, angry, or passive-aggressive. Full stop. That is true. I knew that. Yeah. So back to you, full stop. That you're not supposed to use periods in texts. I do it anyway, but that's because I'm, uh -huh. I want everybody to know how hostile I feel towards them. So full stop, it turns out, just means period. It's very easily found where it started. But then it got used for a while in naval senses and on ships to say, you know, you were full stop. But it was really taken up by the Star Trek people. It was appropriated by the nautical industry, the maritime world, 
from the period at the end of a sentence, and then from there also to Star Trek. And, you know, whatever all those Star Trek fans do, everybody else is going to want to do because they're so cool and hip. So that's mm. we're all going to be following on that. You know, that... <laughs> Oh, God. So do you credit it, qualify it as being a nautical term or no? No, I don't. You I refuse. Think it, was, uh, it put me under the weather and uh, <laughs> it was touch and go. You consider it a grammatical term that has broadened in its use metaphorically. Yes, yes. That's... Because people don't say comma. They don't say, I'll go with you, comma, if you give me some money. <laughs> well, perhaps you should start bringing that up <laughs> into the thing. You know, you need to listen to me, comma. Better. <laughs> you are such a jerk! Exclamation point. <laughs> He'd never been to Ireland. Semicolon. <laughs> My email is going to be uh, one sly seaman ampersand gmail dot com. Gmail full stop com. You mean full stop dot com? No, full stop. Not full stop dot com. That doesn't. Now you're just talking nonsense. Full stop com. Well, I think that's everything we've got for today, folks. That was wild and woolly and fun, and I learned a lot. And get your flood insurance, folks. If you're in, I don't even know, earthquake insurance out here in California, or fire insurance out in California, it must be astronomical, the cost. So you know what's tough to get is that act of God insurance. Mm. That's tough. No, they'll give that to you, and then (laughs) when you make your claim, they're just like, okay, well, just prove God exists. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there you go. And then there we'll be go. we'll be sure to send you off a check as soon as we take care of that. So what are we gonna do? We're gonna do greatest things since Muhammad Ali. Well, I guess well, but you guys can weigh in. Email me. Go ahead and email me. I'm not gonna give out my email address, but go ahead and let me know what the update on the greatest things since sliced bread should be, or if we should stick with that, or maybe go back to your greatest things since wrapped bread. I'm gonna start saying that again. <laughs> <laughs> and then people are like, I think it's sliced bread, and you're like, what? They're slicing it now? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, if you go back to actually the expression from 1928, the origin, technically speaking, is... <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> so you get hit a lot, is what you're saying. <laughs> I think this guy blasts the weeds. <laughs> it's Italian people. <laughs> I'm going to crack a fart. That may be my favorite, crack a fart. Yeah. I've always known you as a ham bender. He likes to bend hams. Well, thank you for taking uh, time out of your busy schedule, because I know you, you all have been flat out like a lizard drinking, which, as you recall, means extremely busy. Or maybe you were on the pole, out in England on the pole. I, this is terrible. There's too many callbacks, and it's really annoying. I'm sure I'm going to delete all of this and edit it all out because it's mm-hmm. so irritating. So I guess we'll wrap up. Thank you for listening to the Words Between Friends podcast. If you found the show tolerable, you're practically guaranteed to be able to sit through the other podcast, Kurt and I do, Quality Control Purposes, in which we share provocative letters written to advice columnists and then share our pointed suggestions and rate the advice offered up by the professionals. Available wherever you enjoy quality podcasts. But having toiled through this episode, we must conclude, but we do so while leaving you with our oft-repeated and occasionally honored pledge that the next time we will do better. Hey, thanks for listening. But before you go, if you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. Or, if you didn't enjoy it, well, give us five stars and a glowing review anyway. Why should you be the only one who suffers? And also, be sure to check out the other podcast Kurt and I do, Quality Control Purposes, where we offer our critiques of professional advice columnists' responses to letter writers while barely concealing our borderline contempt for one another.